I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Slavin Billich at Watford to the Slavin Billich at West Brom. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, we're back from Mexico uh, and we've come back to the UK being completely covered in snow. Yeah, it's horrendous, isn't it? I, I, I don't know how it's how it's happened. I mean, the weather's is how it's happened. Um, but experiencing that literal 30 degree drop in weather is is um it's, you know catches your breath a little bit yeah it's uh it's certainly brought us back down to earth with a bump <laughs> hasn't it but we're back from mexico and listeners will be glad to know i think me and justin are both done with holidays now for a good five years or so so we can do Never our podcast recordings in our normal studios can't we yeah i don't want to go away ever again really um it's it. <laughs> that sounds harsh and, and really sad. It was a good trip, but it's an inconvenience for the podcast. We should plan around the podcast um, and just do summer breaks, like footballers do summer breaks, where they have like a four week window. Maybe we can do it like that. You try telling that to my missus. Um, worth mentioning as well. On the plane back, he was on the plane with us. None other than Mick Harford. Amazing. Yeah. You you Incredible. pointed him out to me, and I was like, that's not Mick Harford. And then it wasn't until we got to the baggage claim that. I asked him, "Are you Mick Harford?" And it was him. He, he looked in, he looked very well. He looked really well, especially after, of course, everything everything he's been through over the past couple of years. Um, but may I say as well, for a man who is known as the ultimate hard man when he was a player, he is so nice. Just such a lovely chap. <laughs> it would have been great to have uh, had some sort of conversation with him, but I think we were. I was too tired to. Engage and we and we spent a good fifteen minutes arguing whether or not it was Mick Harford and by that point he'd already walked onto the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just convinced it wasn't him, but uh, yeah, ni- nice to meet you, Mick. Um, if you're listening, indeed, to the podcast. But let's talk some Championship football, shall we, Justin? Welcome to the number one Championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through the few games we've had in the Championship in midweek. We'll look ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend as well. Me and Justin each picking our bankers of the weekend. Go through some of the news from the past few days, including all the change at Watford. Chris Wilder's come in. Slavin Bilic has been sacked. So we'll talk about that and a few other bits and pieces as well. And then, of course, it's a Thursday episode. We're going to do Diddy or Dinty right at the end. So let's begin with an Illiman Indai goal, which gave Sheffield United a 1-0 win away at Reading. Sheffield United were the better side here, but I thought Reading gave a good account of themselves as well. They're always going to, I think, Reading are. They're always going to make it difficult for opposition, and Sheffield United did have to grind it out to some extent. Uh, but it was a really good away performance from the Blades, and 
you know, Reading's home record tells you that there are no pushovers at home. They've got the fifth best home record in the division, so it was always going to be a difficult game, no matter what form Reading find themselves in at the moment. So yeah, I think that's how it turned out. It was a game that Sheffield United had to grind out. They had to um, not, not toughen up, but be be disciplined, be structured, as they have been all season. And um, yeah, it was. I didn't I didn't think Sheffield United were back to the best, but I saw glimpses of what they're really good at, or what they've been really good at this season, which is a is a is a major positive. Yeah, Edman and Dai was great. Everything Sheffield United did went through him. James McAtee had a good game too. They didn't create a hat full of chances, but on the balance of play, they always looked the more likely to win this one. And they needed this win as well. One win in four prior to this. Performances have dropped, and that's the main reason why I've begun to fancy Middlesbrough to catch up with them. This was a good showing. I agree with you, Justin. Not incredible by any means, but certainly good enough. This result, of course, means they've made the most of their game in hand and have reopened back up a seven-point gap. Um, it's a gigantic three or four months for Sheffield United, on and off the pitch, isn't it, Justin? Obviously, mm. there's the promotion race as they try to fend off the pesky Middlesbrough. If they don't go up, though, they could be stuck in the championship for years to come. They've got loads of players who are out of contract. I think it was 12 the last time I checked, many of whom are players who were part of that promotion winning team from a few years ago, but also some players who have been massive parts of their success this season, like Ollie Norwood, Ollie McBurney. They haven't been given new contracts yet because obviously they're in the process of a takeover. So those futures are all up in the air until something gets sorted out. I'd be amazed if Ilman Adai is still there, if they are still in the championship next season. Ditto Sander Berger. So the squad will look very different, without a doubt, and probably be quite a bit weaker. Then there's the aforementioned takeover, reportedly Sheffield United aren't in the best place financially. So they need this takeover to get done. There's been some concerning stories about the man trying to take them over, which we've covered on here. So how likely is that the takeover actually happens? I'm not sure. So a big few months for Sheffield United on the pitch, in the dugout, in the boardroom as well. And it could shape their future for many years. Yeah, it's one of those where it's um, a real, not a flashpoint, but... um... I can't remember what the saying is. It was you know, the Aston Villa derby game a few years ago with the playoffs. Um, it was one of those games that changed the immediate futures of of both teams. Um, I can't remember what the, the saying is. And I'm too tired to remember it, which isn't ideal. But it's it, as you say, it is a significant period in, in Sheffield United's recent history. Um, if they don't go up, there's going to be a changing of the guard anyway. I think it's it's got to be a natural process because it's got quite a lot of aging players. They've got players out of contract as well. Um, so there, have, there will have to be some sort of resetting. They've got some good youngsters coming through, um, which is which is a positive as well. But they might be too early to to be you know, blooded in um, regularly. Uh, but that being said, it is it is a really important period for Sheffield United, and I do think if um, it it does heat the pressure on winning promotion, which could play a part in it. But as I say, I, I remain confident of the Blades uh, going up automatically. Speaking of a big few months for clubs, Reading still waiting for their points deduction to be made official, which would leave them 21st and just outside the relegation zone, which wouldn't be ideal, would it, Justin? Of course it wouldn't. Um, losing six points is it's not ideal for any team. Uh, but I, again, I think they are they should be more than comfortable enough for staying in the, in the division, to be honest with you, because I just think that the bottom three are quite poor, to be honest with you, and Reading are a lot better. Whether, that's a, whether it plays a part 
you know, in the a dent in their confidence in the team. I, I don't know, but I think this performance against Sheffield United tells you that they they are still focused. Okay, they didn't create too much, but they still limited a, a very good blade side to to nothing too well, not too many frequent chances that that were clear cut. So I still think they're too good to to go down, even if they um, even if they do do so for that point deduction. So I think they will be safe. As I say, that magic forty four points is is a bit is big. If this game against Sheffield United is anything to go by, this didn't look like a team who are feeling sorry for themselves, and that's pleasing. Reading are much better than Huddersfield and Wigan, I can say that for sure. Blackpool are the ones who could cause Reading problems. Having said that, I would still back Reading to pick up more points than the final 11 games of the season. But even then, Birmingham and QPR and maybe a couple of others are more likely to go down than Reading are right now, if you ask me. So I think they'll be fine. I will cautiously cautiously say I think they'll be all right. Let's go to West Brom, who got just their second win in six games by beating Wigan 1-0. Daryl DK getting the goal. This was a battering. West Brom hit the woodwork three times. Really should have won this by four or five. I saw some West Brom fans saying that this was a bad performance. I think they're being very harsh on themselves because West Brom are just so good at creating chances, but they're just also so wasteful. Luckily here, they created so many that it had to go in for them at some point. Well, exactly. I don't think it was a bad performance, but one that makes you pull your hair out. Um, Just because they didn't get the just rewards for their pretty good performance, I thought. They were very good going forwards. Wigan had one chance, I think, in the second half, I think uh, it was. Um, so they they they, did, they limited you know, a team struggling to, to barely anything, which is what you'd expect. So I don't think it was a bad performance by any means, just one that would cause frustration because there's a lot there that you know, deserved a lot more. Um, but as you say, they hit the woodwork three times. I thought John Swift was brilliant. Daryl DK, his involvement in the build-up to his goal was absolutely superb. That felt like DK at his best. Or Brighton was, was active. Wallace was active. It was a good performance going forward it just lacked goals that's the only frustrating thing yeah we may as well call Daryl DK air conditioning really because he blows hot and cold doesn't he (laughs) this game he was hot scored the goal but helped create the chance in the first place as you say also created another great chance for himself not long after with a wonderful bit of skill they need him to have more games like that because putting away chances is their big issue if West Brom were more clinical they'd probably be in the top two chance creation (laughs) has not been an issue with them. Even when they started terribly earlier in the season, they were still creating plenty of good quality chances. It's just scoring them. And that's been a problem for the last couple of seasons. Now, I'm not saying put away every chance, but only five teams have a poorer shot conversion rate than West Brom in the Championship. And all but one of those teams is in the bottom five. So they're their own worst enemy at times, particularly when it comes to putting away chances. This result and Huddersfield drawing puts Wigan bottom of the table. Six points off safety with 11 games remaining. An interesting quote from Wigan chief exec Mel Brannigan this week after doing kind of a sit down with supporters. He said, we genuinely believe last summer the squad was good enough to stay in this division. We wanted to retain the spirit from last year. Did we get it wrong? The situation at the moment suggests probably yes. Thoughts on that, Justin? He's fronting it up, which is which is a good thing. He's not um, he's not giving the supporters any uh, smoke and mirrors, is he? He's, he's just being transparent and honest, and I think that's a fair comment to make. I'll be honest with you. I thought that the squad would 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 have been capable of at least attempting to stay in the championship, but that is 
well, it's falling by the wayside week by week, isn't it? It's, you know, the lack of quality going forward is, is problematic. There are some very good players at Wigan, I think, um, that just needed propping up with, with a little bit more quality. Um, and that, was, that wasn't the case. They they tried to do it on the cheap, I think, which probably yeah wouldn't have been said in that um, in that support forum. But yeah, at least he's at least he's fronting it up and and and, and being honest, which is all you can ask for. Yeah, fair play to him for being honest. It does sound like he's almost conceding that they're going down, which they probably are. But strange to hear your chief exec say that with a quarter of the season still to go. Um, was this squad good enough at the beginning of the season? Not for me. I can't recall the last time we saw a team promoted from League One and adding to their squad as little as Wigan did last summer. I don't care how good you were in League One. When you get to the Championship, you've got to bring in more than just a handful of players. I can't remember how many they brought in off the top of my head, but I think it was only like three or four. It wasn't many, was it? Um, They were possibly financially restricted in terms of how much business they could actually do. But still, there are other reasons why Wigan will probably get relegated this season. Sacking Liam Richardson and getting Colo Torre is a big one. And they've had plenty of injury problems as well, which kind of ties into why they needed to bring in more players in the summer. But the squad simply not being good enough, I think, is also up there as well. Huddersfield beat Bristol City. That ended goalless. Bristol City dominated the first half before more even second. This is a bad result for Huddersfield, though, isn't it? As mentioned at the weekend, their remaining games are very tricky. And this was easily their most winnable game out of their next seven matches. Mm-hmm. If you're not winning games like Bristol City at home, then how are you expected to get wins from their next six games, which are all against sides, still in the hunt for promotion? A point's a point, but I think the odds of going down have only increased because of this result, Justin. Without doubt, without doubt. They, they're, going, they're approaching every game in a, in, in a must-win state of mind. Because that's the situation they created for themselves, but unfortunately they're just they're just not good enough. You know, one win in eleven, failed to score in five of the last six games, and if the squad hasn't been good enough for two managers this season, uh, yeah, it's never going to be good enough for a third, even if it's Neil Warnock. Um, you know, as I said, if you try, if you're in a desperate situation where you're recruiting a manager who's been retired for just over a year um, and he's seventy four years old, is you, you are in a desperate situation. Um, and that's that's down to the board. Unfortunately, it's down to the board and, and the ownership and the way the club's been run um, uh, over the last sort of eighteen months. And the, the lack of forward thinking has just been really poor. And this season's been a culmination of it. It's been an ugly culmination of it. Bristol City won't be too chuffed with this result, especially after losing in the seven-side derby at the weekend, as we were alluding to. When Bristol City go on a good run of form, they usually follow it with an equally bad run of form. And uh, this result kind of points towards that happening again here. Uh, Let's do some previews, Justin. Let's look ahead to the weekend and make some big old predictions. So in each preview episode of the second tier, Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the championship this coming weekend. And also pick the team we think will be the biggest surprise winner. Justin, who is your banker in the championship this coming weekend? I've got... I've got Watford to beat QPR at Loftus Road. Um, and the reason why is because of the new manager bounce. It's a thing. It exists. There's scepticism about this natural phenomenon uh, occurring. But um, I feel it will it will uh, come about, mainly because I, I back Chris Wilder. I still think he's a good coach, even though things turned ugly at Middlesbrough. Um, you know, I don't think that was a footballing thing. I still, I still I do think performances were good, despite them dropping into the bottom four or five. I just think off-field issues with Wilder just... 
became an impactful on the team, maybe. Um, and I do think there are limitations with this Watford squad. I think the lack of wing-backs and Chris Wilder's preference on wing-backs is a bit of an issue, but there's surely enough quality in this team for Chris Wilder to look at and go, I'll get more out of that. I'll get more out of that. I look at um, David McGoldrick's role in the Sheffield United team, for example, his ability to play in between the midfield and the and, and Billy Sharp, the, the forward he got a lot of goals, he got a lot of attacking contributions and I think Jao Pedro is going to fit into that mould very, very nicely. But do it better because Jao Pedro simply is a better player than David McGoldrick. That's me saying that as well, which is staggering. He's got good attacking options at his disposal um, and obviously QPR being in a really poor run of form, new manager bounce, really good group of players. I'm only edging towards Watford with this one. Fair enough. I will go for Burnley to beat Wigan at Turf Moor on Saturday as my banker for the weekend. And I think this one is pretty obvious, isn't it? It's top v bottom and I imagine will be a very popular accumulator pick this weekend. In fairness, Burnley have dropped a few points recently. I would mainly put that down to injuries, which have really started racking up. Josh Brownhill being the latest person to be joining plenty of others in the treatment room. But still, they're unbeaten this calendar year and are the champions to be for a reason. This game will be complete domination. The Clarets have only conceded twice in their last seven league games. And considering Wigan's struggles going forwards since Sean Maloney's come in, I can't see Wigan having a shot on target. That's if they actually manage to get the ball at any point. Um, I, I hope Haro Murich in the Burnley goal has got a hot water bottle and a blanket ready because he needs to try and keep himself warm somehow this coming weekend. Wigan are quite a good side at the back, but the intention will be to try and keep out Burnley for as long as possible. When you consider, though, that Blackpool were the first team since August to keep a clean sheet against Burnley at the weekend, it's often a case as try as you might, but your efforts will be futile. So this should be very straightforward, I think, Justin. And I think it, the the West Brom game earlier in the week for Wigan is probably a good indicator of maybe where this game will go because West Brom dominated Wigan chance-wise. They were just wasteful in front of goal. Burnley don't have that issue. They will dominate in terms of chances. They will dominate in terms of possession. They'll make it a very difficult game for Wigan, obviously. So it's very, yeah, it's it's impossible to any, see anything other than a, a Burnley result here. That being said, I do like an underdog story. Yes, you do. Um, as you always do with my <laughs> bankers. always like to question them, don't you? But I, I cannot come up with any sort of theory where we don't see a Burnley win this weekend. My upset is going to be Rotherham to win away at Birmingham on Saturday. A relegation six-pointer this one. Rotherham are the big outsiders with the bookies for this one. And I will certainly be having a little flutter on them. These two are relegation rivals, but one seems to be moving away from the battle while the other is gravitating towards it. Rotherham have lost just two of their last nine. That most recently includes wins against Sunderland and QPR. They've been playing well recently and the new signings seem to have breathed new life into the side. Jordan Hugill's been busy, got his first goals for them at the weekend too. Tarek Fosu, a dangerous forward. Leo Hjelda uh, has looked steady at left-back. Conor Coventry has come into midfield and given them a bit more control on the ball. Control is not something you can associate right now with Birmingham, who are spiralling all over the shop. They were seventh at Christmas, but now find themselves hovering above the relegation zone, having only won twice in the league since then. They got the first point in five games away at Wigan last weekend. The forwards are misfiring. John Eustace has been getting stick after dropping Hannibal. I mean, he's getting stick anyway for their recent results. They've only kept one clean sheet since Christmas. 
I reckon this will be a Rotherham win, which will edge them closer to safety and leave Birmingham in quite a bit of peril. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think Birmingham's performances have, haven't been terrible. They haven't been um, as bad as their runner form suggests. I think they have been wasteful in front of goal, which has been the main issue. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that can, con, uh, can continue to happen. I think yeah, they will start to pick up again in terms of form in front of goal. So, you know, why not it happen against a team who are in and around them? Um, but that being said, Rotherham have picked up form. Jordan Hugel's back amongst the goals. So, if I was to be confident in saying anything in this game, it would be a high-scoring draw. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm not sure about high scoring, considering how much Birmingham are misfiring right now. But you know, yeah, entitled yeah. to your own thoughts. Justin, what's your upset in the championship this weekend? I've gone with Luton to beat Sheffield United. Now, I think I've put a few surprise results in this season where I've bet against Sheffield United at home, and I don't think any of them have come in. But <laughs> obviously, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking Luton might actually nick something here. Um, now, Bramall Lane's a fortress, uh, but I don't think Luton give a hoot. They're one of those teams who just don't care, and they're very good away from home. And I don't think you can, um, I don't think you can rule, you know, or, or bet against them in, in, in the form that they're in. And obviously, I think they're 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 in a better run of form or more confident than, than perhaps Sheffield United are, which will certainly play into their hands. Now, it's a, it's a ballsy claim, obviously, because Sheffield United are at home, but as I say, Luton's ability to press and be disciplined and mix their game up might suit them against Sheffield United, who will try and do the same. Um, and obviously, I think with Cotton Morris in, in good goal-scoring form, Jordan Clark is dictating games, and the defence is as solid as it has been all season, or he's one of the most solid teams in the league. I think narrowly just behind Sheffield United, um, interestingly. It's going to be a massive tactical battle where I think confidence is going to play a big part. Confidence in making that final pass, confidence in in beating a man, and confidence in getting in front of your man to to knock in a, um, a six yard you know, across into the six yard box. And I think Luton might just edge it. Very, very interesting, Justin. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, including what the hell's going on at Watford. Back to the second tier podcast. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and we'll start off with some very tragic news. A Blackpool fan's died after a fight at a pub. 55 year old Tony Johnson was found with a serious head injury near the Manchester bar in Blackpool after the game against Burnley last weekend. Blackpool say they're deeply shocked and saddened by the news. A man's been arrested in connection with the incident. Look, this is terribly sad and shocking news. It's been said a lot this week, but it's true. No football fan should ever go to a game and not return home. A video of the supposed incident has been circulating online. It looks as if it's just one punch and that's it. A man's lost his life. His family and friends have lost a loved one and another man could very well end up in prison with a criminal record. But it just begs the question, why do some football fans feel they need to fight each other, assuming this was because of who they support? Just go to the football and enjoy yourself. When I go to games and I'm walking to the ground with an opposition fan, I'll sometimes have a chat with them about how their team's doing, what they think the score's going to be. But there's a certain type of football fan whose 
probably watched Green Street or Football Factory a few times who goes out of their way to start trouble. You see it in every football ground up and down the country each week. Again, that might not be the case here. Who really knows? But I just can't get my head around wanting to fight someone because they support a different football team to me. Tony's death, while completely tragic, should act as a reminder to us all that even a little scrap can very easily go horribly wrong. Apologies if this isn't the time to be bringing this up, but it's something I feel very strongly about and it's only been made more the case with this very tragic news. But let's move on, Justin. And it's all changed at Watford. Slavin Bilic has been sacked after just one win in eight. He's been replaced by Chris Wilder, who's been appointed until the end of the season. What was your reaction to the Bilic sacking, first of all, Justin? I don't think there was any reaction, to be honest with you. I'm trying to think back. It was Monday, wasn't it? I, I just don't think there was much that came from me, mainly because, firstly, it's Watford. you come to expect it. Watford's form um, and style of play just hasn't got anywhere near the level it should be. There's no quality in, in their attacking patterns of play, which is criminal considering the, the ability of the players that they've got there. Um, so actually, I'm not surprised at all. I think when Bilic was first appointed, I was sceptical. I think it was a just a bit of a random appointment. He was a good coach available, so they hired him without actually thinking about the players that they've got at the club. And I stand by that. I think they've had quite a few of those appointments over the years. Um, and I do think Chris Wilder's a much wiser choice. He knows the division. He knows he's got a you know a good style of play that if it can click, it can it can really click. Um, but obviously he comes with a little bit of baggage and he's, he's got to repair his reputation as well. So it's a good appointment in that sense. But at the same time, it's hardly a surprise and Chris Wilder's probably already on borrowed time. Well, Slavin Milic is a very good coach, someone I rate highly as a manager, but this never seemed to click. Watford have been so bang average recently when they shouldn't be with the players they've got. I got the sense Bilic wasn't as motivated with this job as he has been with past ones because there yeah. didn't seem to be a plan here. It's like he was saying, you're good enough. I don't need to tell you what to do. And that's why this team hasn't been playing like a team. They've been playing like a group of 11 individuals. So as much criticism gets thrown at Watford for how many managers they go through, this is one way I don't blame them because things could and should be better than they are. So that brings us on to Chris Wilder, who has become Watford's 10th manager since September 2019. That's a new manager just about every four months, which is quite impressive, really. Uh, what do you think, Justin? The goal is obviously to get in the top six. Can he do it? I I think so. I think if you can have immediately, if you go back to his Middlesbrough spell, for example, he had an immediate impact at that club. I think the only thing that works against him is, is personnel and balance of the squad. The squad needed depth adding to it needed quality adding to it they did that but they're still without wing backs for example um or, or, or good or good enough wing backs i should say so that's that's going to prove problematic but i think chris wilder is experienced enough to know or, or experienced enough to adapt um his team to, to what he's got available to him and, and as i say the main issue with watford was bridging that gap between pr um, progressing the ball through the middle of the pitch through the thirds they've just not been able to do that he's going to do that you look at Middlesbrough this season, they were still, despite them sitting very low in the table, they were still creating chances. They're still amongst, uh, amongst the best teams in the league for chances created. They just weren't putting them away. If you can get that in this Watford side or get a, a, a percentage of that into this Watford side, they'll be very dangerous. They're in a very good position right now to, to, to make it a sort on the top six. So yeah, 
I do think the aim is top six, absolutely, definitely. I think it's a bit of a strange move for him with it only being essentially a two, three-month contract. I usually think of him as a manager who's in charge of projects as opposed to being drafted in to get short-term results. He may very well see this as an audition for getting the job next season, but I also think it's strange because I'm not sure this group of players suit him. Chris Wilder teams in the past have all been about working your socks off, but also playing some damn good football at the same time. With this Watford team, I'm not sure that resembles that. And also, <laughs> there's no wingbacks, <laughs> which, is, which is a big part of the Chris Wilder system. I also don't know where Ishmael Assar fits into um, Chris Wilder's system, considering he's never played with wingers, as far as I can recall. So it's going to be interesting to see how the system looks with the players that he's got available. But look, I rate Chris Wilder massively as a manager. That Middlesbrough spell is the only job he's done, which wasn't amazing. Is that an indicator of where his managerial career is going? I'm not sure. Even though they started the season terribly, Middlesbrough was still playing quite well. And it all went wrong because Wilder threw his toys out the pram with bringing in players and him not being happy with the recruitment they did. Um, I think this greatly increases Watford's chances of finishing in the top six because things weren't great under Bilic. They've decided to twist and I can understand why they've done that. In transfer news, Rotherham have signed former Man United defender Tyler Blackett on a deal until the end of the season. The 28-year-old has been a free agent after leaving FC Cincinnati in America. Luton midfielder Jordan Clark has signed a new deal at the club. And in injury news, Bristol City midfielder Joe Williams is expected to miss the rest of the season with a hamstring injury. And that's your news from the Championship for the past few days. And now it's time for this. Did Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Dylan T. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to make a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on this week. It's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players and clubs with the scores 111 to 103 to Justin Peach. It's such a mouthful, that. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to get over it. I got a perfect 10 last time out. For the first time in Diddy or Dinty history, I need eight to level with you, which I would be very happy with, to be honest, Justin. Yeah, we're both exhausted. That could play in your hands in the sense that maybe I didn't put too much care into the players that I picked out because I did them on the coach on the way back from Gatwick. But I had enough time to do it, so hopefully they're good enough. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Can I have the first player, please, Justin? You can. It's Tommy Elphick and Reading. No. You're incorrect. He made four appearances on loan in 2018. <laughs> Great. 2018? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I do not remember that one. Uh, zero out of one. Good start. Next one is Elliot Bennett and Bristol City. Mm, I don't really know Elliot Bennett's career, to be honest, so I'll say no. Incorrect. 15 appearances in 2015. I do, I do not know his career. I know he played for Black, Blackburn, but that's it. Well, that's yeah, just more for you for not educating yourself. Do you know how many bloody players there are who have played in the Championship? I'm not going to know every single player's career, am I? Well, stop crying about it then. I'm not crying about it. I'm trying to move on. Do you want me to give you the next one? Yes, please. Okay, fine. George Boyd and Watford. We're getting very irritable together here, aren't we? <laughs> We've been together. George Boyd and Watford? No. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. I made that one up. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, his his he, picture came up and I saw him in yellow and I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, Watford will do. Oh, I thought you were doing it because he's from that kind of neck of the woods, isn't he, I think? Is he? I don't know. He was at Stevenage once, so I assume he's from that neck of the woods. Is that close to Watford? Jesus Christ. One out of three. Next one. Harry Toffolo and Peterborough. <laughs> yes. Correct. Seven appearances on loan in 2016. Yeah, I know that because I was uh, going to do it for you not too long ago. <laughs> Two out of four. Next one is Ryan Shotton and Wigan. Yes. Delay. Bit of a pause for you, Mish. <laughs> I'm saying yes. <laughs> You're correct. Nine appearances on loan in 2013. Oh, I thought he. I thought he played for them a bit more than that. Just the nine appearances on loan in 2013. Am I getting mixed up with someone else? Maybe I am. Um, three out of five. It's not bad. Not bad start. Yeah, right. You've recovered. Yeah. Next one is Chris Commons and Stoke. Yes. Do you want to check back? No. So you're saying no? I'm. What? <laughs> no, I'm saying yes. <laughs> you're correct. He made 42 appearances. He came through the academy there. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he played quite a few games for them. Yeah, but you hesitated, so you weren't sure. So it was a good it was a good player. It was a good one to put in. No. I, the reason I hesitated was because I was thinking, is he just from there? Because, um, again, I think, he's, I, th- I think he's from that neck of the woods, but I might be wrong. Um, four out of six. Nice, nice, nice. Jake Livermore in Leeds. Ooh, yes. Um, I'm pausing. I'm going to say yes. You're going to say yes? You'd be correct. You made five appearances on loan in 2011. Five out of seven. Jake Livermore's played for a few clubs, to be fair, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He has. He's a, he's a well-travelled man. Well-travelled man. Uh, I'm trying to find my place. Next one is Jacob Butterfield and Bolton. Bolton, of course, being the club that Justin Peach always goes to for his made-up ones. So, with that logic, I'm going to say he's not played for Bolton. You're incorrect. Get in there. <laughs> Eight appearances on loan in 2013. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, five out of eight. The next one is Ricardo Vaste in Hull City. Uh, no. Incorrect. Loan spot in, 20, uh, in tw- 20, 2007. 2007. 2007. 2007. (laughs) I'm tired. Five out of nine. The last one is Danny Graham and Wolverhampton Wanderers, also known as Wolves. Cheers, mate. Um, I'm going to say no. Wait, wait. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm going to say yes. That is is outrageous. Why is it? You saw my reaction. You saw. Uh, you didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm saying yes. That is sceptical. That is sceptical. Okay, right. Um, well, you're correct. He made a loan spell in 2014, five appearances, one goal. Six out of ten, which is not a bad score. Although, it's worth pointing out that someone made the uh, very correct um, a, a very correct observation that Justin Peach has a habit of only questioning what my answer is <laughs> when I've got it right yeah. and that was in my head throughout that whole game then and you were still doing it just then but I still only managed to get six yeah they were were a grass <laughs> <laughs> 
You really need to work on your mind games a bit more, mate. Uh, but there we go. That means the scores now are 111, 109 to Justin Peach for the season. So there you go. Justin Peach has retaken the lead here on Diddy or Didn't He with... Not much left of the season now to go. So we'll see how we crack on with that again next week. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Just quickly before you go, if you're listening to us on Spotify, you can now give us feedback on an individual episode. So if you have enjoyed this podcast... <laughs> that could be interesting. If you have enjoyed this edition of the Second Tier, then please let us know. If you haven't enjoyed it, please let us know. But always receptive to feedback from you as a listener. So if you fancy taking a moment to do so, we'll be very appreciative. Alternatively, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can still leave us a review on there and we will still acknowledge your feedback. We don't discriminate here based off your podcast platform. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the weekend's games, which... Hopefully I'll still going ahead. As I look out the window now, all I can see is snow upon snow. Um, so I imagine there may be a couple of games called off this weekend, but we'll have to wait and see. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been just Peach. And a big, 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 big thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.